Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Sharon, how are you today? I'm good. How about yourself I'm with good. your little plaid tie? Thank you. Yeah, you got mad at me. I didn't say I liked it. You got I mad at me because I didn't, uh, I didn't wear the pink tie well, to correspond with you. Right? Well, normally you come down with the same color I have on, and we don't That's usually do that. Yeah. No, but weird. you got your wife here with you, so I guess she Well, she actually picked, she picked the tie off. I yeah, she did. It. She did pick the tie off. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, we've got a great episode today, and we're still in Chicago in the Windy City for the ANA Annual Congress meeting, and mm-hmm. lucky to be back in person. Oh, my God, I'm so thrilled. I've actually shook a few people's hands and gotten hugs at this meeting. Oh, my God, It's great, isn't it? Yeah. It is great. Yeah. Well, we have a wonderful show, and we want to first introduce Mr. Adam Spiegel. Adam, how are you today? Good. Glad to, have, glad to be here. Yeah, we're glad you're here, and you are the CEO of Northstar. That is correct. Great. Well, why don't you give us a little bit about your background, then I'll introduce our other guest as well. Sure. Um, so I've spent about 25 years uh, in healthcare. I started with about 20 years with the company called the Advisory Board Company, um, and basically provided uh, consulting, research, and um, technology to hospitals and health systems. So spent a bunch of time in the C-suite with uh, hospital executives. Uh, we were acquired by Optum, so worked for the giant United Health United Group Healthcare. for yep. a very brief period of time, um, and then uh, was presented with the opportunity of coming over and being CEO of Northstar in uh, 2018. So okay. came over and have been there ever since. Great. Were you in Texas the whole time? or No, actually, I was in D.C. Um, ah, okay. So uh, uh, advisory board's based in D.C. Um, I'm still D.C.-based. Oh, uh, okay. When, uh, the CEO opportunity for Northstar came up. They asked me to move to Dallas, and I asked my wife. I said, hey, what do you think about me moving to Dallas? And she said, that's great. That sounds like a really good opportunity for you. Kids and I are staying here in Bethesda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was cheaper for you to commute than uh, go through a divorce, exactly, is what you're telling exactly, me. Exactly. Yeah. I can, I can, yes, I understand. But well, you are a financial guy. <laughs> and I've been through a divorce, so I get it. Yeah. So, um, and also with us, who really needs no introduction, is Mr. Randy Moore. Randy, how are you? It's great. I'm great. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks, it's thanks great to have us. you back. Yeah. And uh, for, for folks that don't know, give them just a little bit about your background background. 
Sure. Uh, so I am a nurse anesthetist, and I have been in leadership for a little bit. Uh, started as uh, I came up through the association, uh, as the uh, through the Illinois Association of Nurse Anesthetists, and then I was on the board of directors for the AANA for a few years, and in parallel to that, I had moved into hospital leadership, and um, through a strange confluence of events, I found myself as the chief executive officer of the AANA for about four years, and so... Uh, did that for four years, loved it, grew immensely from it, uh, super proud of the work that we did. Uh, and then, uh, again, through a strange confluence of events, having conversations with Adam's, Adam and others, I find myself in this role at North Star as the chief anesthetist officer. Great. And, I, and I've been in seat for maybe just a little bit under a year now. Great. We want to get a little bit to that so we understand a little bit more about what you're doing there. But, Adam, I want to kick it off with you and just kind of give us the lay of the land um, and opportunities for growth maybe in the anesthesia world right now. Sure. Um, so it's been an interesting time for anesthesia uh, the last couple of years. Um, there's been a lot of stuff going on. And I think to start with, you kind of have to understand what's happening to hospitals. And prior to the COVID-19 outbreak, hospitals were losing a lot of their most profitable surgeries to ambulatory surgery centers. Mm. So they were working really hard to try to keep you know rooms open so that they could attract surgeons. And uh, COVID crisis hit. And they shut down surgery or shut down ORs, uh, electives had to go somewhere else. And what happened shortly after the big shutdown was that hospitals were still limiting the number of surgeries that they were doing. So a lot of surgeons were forced to go to ASCs. And you think about this from an orthopedic surgeon perspective, I might have done all of my total knees and hips at the hospital because mm-hmm. I'm nervous about doing it in an ASC. Right. I've always done it in the hospital. I've got the support I need. If anything goes wrong, et cetera, et cetera. And then COVID hits, and the only way I can care for my patients is if I do them in an ASC. Mm. So I do the procedures in ASC. Starts on time. I never get bumped. I get out of there early. Kind of like it, huh? And, oh, by the way, <laughs> I own a portion of the center. So uh, for every one of these surgeries I do, hey, I get, I get a facility I fee. I get a facility yeah. fee and everything else. Mm. Why would I ever go back to the hospital? Right. And as a result, you saw this real acceleration of these surgeries leaving the hospital. So hospitals get all this CARES Act money Mm -hmm. and they say, hey, we need, we look at our surgical volume. We need to get our surgical volume back up. So what are we going to do? We're going to open up as many ORs as we possibly can, because if we build it, they will come, right? I'm going to get these guys back because I'm going to give them great blocks so that they're going to be really excited. I'll give them swing rooms so that they'll be just as happy there as they will with in the ACs. And what's happened is, you know, the orthopedic surgeon says, well, hey, for my dual eligibles, my Medicare and Medicaid patients, I'm more than happy to bring those back to the hospital because yeah. I'm not making money on those yeah. in the surgery center. And I'm happy to do that. But in general, they're not seeing the volume come back. Mm. And what this has created is a huge strain on the anesthesia business. Because when you look at the number of anesthesiologists and CRNAs that are out there, um, you know, we had less than 1% unemployment prior to the pandemic. Right. Um, as you know, we've seen CRNAs um, for the first year did not grow in terms of the number of overall CRNAs in the country. Um, it had been growing at about 5% the previous years to that. And the last year, it didn't grow at all. Whereas the actual need for those people has gone up because not only are hospitals expanding their points of service, the number of ORs they're running, but the ASCs are seeing 20% volume increases. So from their perspective, they actually are building more ASCs. The existing ASCs are opening up more um, rooms, and that's causing a real sort of supply-demand imbalance. 
Right. And if you look market to market, you've seen this reflected in compensation increases. Mm -hmm. But what's really happened is despite the comp, it's not like you're finding new people. It's the same people that just you're stuck with. Just place going from place to place. Just going from place to place. So it's created this real challenge. And you're, if for, from an anesthesia perspective, um, you know, it's costs are going up, um, but volumes aren't because mm. the hospitals are not seeing volumes go up. All you're doing is you're having people sit in rooms that aren't being well used. Right. So it's creating significant cost increases. And then what happens is you then go to the hospital and say, hey, we need a larger stipend. Mm. So there's a lot of tension between the hospitals and, and the anesthesia groups. So that's bad enough, right? Um, then you have the No Surprise Billing Act. Mm. And you have this weird situation where despite rising costs, revenue is actually going down per procedure. Because if you look at what's happening is you have payers going out and they're creating a QPA, which is, hey, they're saying, this is what I pay in general anesthesia providers in this market. Mm -hmm. Now what they use as part of that PP, uh, QPA are any rates that they have with any physicians. And about 30% of, as an example, primary care physicians have a contracted anesthesia rate, even though they perform no anesthesia. So they get to be part of that average. So we're looking at markets where the QPA is actually below Medicare for uh, certain regions. Wow. And that's what, you know, the commercial payers are saying, hey, if you're out of network, I'm going to start paying you at this rate. Right. So for it's, it's been less impactful for a lot of the large practices who are largely already in network. But I think for a lot of smaller practices, this has been hugely impactful to their financials. And the big challenge is that the payers don't tell you they're changing what they're paying you. So they just do it. So United might say, hey, I'm paying you, you know, 100 and whatever, $150 a unit. Well, now I'm going to pay you Medicare rates. And when that happens, it's a, you know, 70% reduction in revenue. But wow. you don't really see it until you might see the patient in January. You don't know that you're getting paid a different rate until April. Right. And you may think that there was a denial or something else happened. So it's usually another couple months before it gets resolved and you realize that, hey, from January until June, I've been getting paid 40% of what I was getting paid before. <clears throat> wow. So these are a bunch of different forces coming together to make it very hard for the anesthesia business. And I think a lot of providers have been feeling that. Insurance companies are driving healthcare, not healthcare, driving healthcare. Well, yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, it brings up a good point. You know, I was just sitting here thinking, you know, a, a lot of hospitals are also pushing surgical procedures outside of the hospital to mm -hmm. their own ASCs. Is that mm -hmm. having any impact on this as well? Well, part of it is they, it's it sort of, they're saying, hey, I'd rather have 50% of a patient gotcha. than 0% of a patient. Okay. So the smarter facilities are starting to do that. Now, what's interesting is to look at those facilities and if they're doing it right, that means they should actually be closing ORs in the inpatient side and replacing gotcha. those with outpatient. But a lot of times you're not seeing that. No. What you're seeing is, that hey, is true. I'm going to move these patients to an outpatient perspective because I'm getting a lot of pressure from my surgeons to do so. Yep. But I'm not closing ORs because I, I think I can still attract some new people. Is it that or is it just they're just so flush with cash from the COVID money that they're just saying, hey, we got to spend it. Let's build some more ORs. Oh, and listen, if you build it, they will come. Most hospitals <laughs> are saying they, they're not flush with cash. Well, yeah, the well, bigger ones are. But well, so, no, it's actually, it's been interesting. So through, if you look at, I mean, in the public companies and the ones that publish are the ones that you can, you can see and even right. the big nonprofits, they'll report on it. But across 2021, they were all making a crazy amount of money, mm -hmm. highest margins that they've seen. The first six months of this year, the average hospital has made a minus 2% operating margin. 
Well, don't they have a small margin anyway? What was it you used to tell us, Randy? It's one to two percent. Yeah, three, like three to four percent. Yeah. You're doing well with margin, wow. right? Yeah, and so, and then the the as Adam was saying, the, there was this. Well, we need to use this money. So how do we use it? Use it strategically. Well, obviously, right. we funnel it towards surgical services, uh, which is well, the economic the agent. That's the money maker. But yeah. it's, it's a bit of a myopic play, right? In, in that now the the CARES Act is gone. Mm. Yeah. And taking so the candy bowl away. And so is the surgical volume with, with the <laughs> primary reimbursement. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's not, for the, for the hospitals, it's not, a negative margin is not sustainable over time. So right. they're, they're right. and what's happening is it would be a lot worse. They're still getting some CARES Act money, but if you take out the CARES Act money, they would have had, you know, through the first four or five months this year, a negative 4% margin. All right, I want to ask a question wow. first, uh, because I'm going to have to put a water hose you between y'all. You are, because y'all I, my mind is I going. Know, <laughs> I know, this is, this, is, this is your deal, Jeremy, so I'm going to just let you go, but I need to understand something as a CRNA who's not sit in any of these seats, because I work more on the policy and advocacy side, and whenever I work with legislators, this is what legislators think about hospitals now. They say that they do fuzzy math. And what I mean by that is there's no business ever that can say, I lost $7 million last year and still keep their doors open. So the way that they push that thought out is they say what they build and what they actually received and they take that difference and say, we lost that amount of money. Okay, so if they bill for a procedure that costs $10,000 and they only get $5,000, they say we lost $5,000, even though they never had that $5,000. So is that real? Because that's the way the legislators perceive how hospitals do their math. Yeah, so there's, there's, two, there's different levels of financials. I think the, when we talk about operating margin, that is more real math. So that is the, if I take all the costs of agency nurses mm-hmm. and spending $150 for a PACU nurse and all of that together and our subsidy, that's my costs. What is, when I'm getting $5,000 for that procedure, that's my revenue, right? Okay. That's the real revenue. That right now is an imbalance. They're not okay. getting enough revenue in the door. That's the operating margin. The actual, where you're going, you know, where hospitals are okay and they might say, hey, I'm losing, I've got a negative 4% margin, is they've got these huge foundations. Mm-hmm. And the foundations are like, you know, university uh, yeah. sort of endowments where they've historically been able to get a lot of money from those endowments and have, you know, as the investments increase, they get that money. So the interest money they use in their operating mar- budget. So they're not actually uh-huh. losing money. They've got other sources right. of income. Right, right. Um, the problem, though, given the market yeah. <laughs> in the last last year <laughs> yeah. is hosp- it's a double whammy because they're losing their CARES Act money. They're spending way too much money on agency nurses and things like that, and their investments have not done well. Mm-hmm. So that usual fund of money that they get from their investments, that is a lot lower this year than it has been in the last few years where they've been killing it because of the market. Right. So they're, the, when they talk about operating margin, that excludes all those other okay. sources of income. Okay. So that also, hel- that's helpful. Thank no, you. No, it's really good. It's also so. important to understand that you know when we're we're talking, there's also community hospitals, and critical ass right. critical access hospitals that don't have that level of right of foundation, foundation you know on on the balance sheet in in their investments that are in pretty precarious positions right, right. now. Yeah. yeah, those are the ones that are really getting hurt, and you're seeing them shutter the doors, or the bigger organizations are coming in and, and snapping them up. Yeah. So. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim. 
and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557. Randy, you know, I, I know you and I have talked about this before, but I always like to reiterate this because Adam hit on a point. He said, you know, um, last year for the first time, you know, we basically had flat to negative growth in anesthesia providers out there. And I think you said CRNAs, if I'm correct. So, um, you know, we talked about this several years ago, you know, what that what that's going to look like. You know, I can do the math and say, okay, if your average CRNA is 51, 52 years old right now, uh, over 50% are going to retire in the next 10 to 12 years. Um, and you've got anesthesia schools out there pumping out, you know, almost the amount that are going to be projected to retire each year. You basically stay flat or go down in that in an environment where we need more anesthesia providers, not less. So I want you to hit on that and then maybe talk about, you know, what that means for the future of the CRNA. And then, Adam, after that, I got to follow up talking about the money that CRNAs are making right now, too. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know, Sharon, do you remember, I don't know, seven years ago when we were having conversations about the conversion from the MSN to the DMP mm-hmm. and how it was projected not to have a material impact on the production of CRNAs. We had hoped. Yeah. Got, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> we were wrong. So, so, so it, it's a top of the funnel and bottom, bottom of the funnel problem in yeah. that that conversion, because human beings being human beings, many of the nursing anesthesia programs waited until the 11th hour to actually flip the switch. Right. Mm-hmm. And so... Over a third. Yeah, yeah, a significant number for sure. And so what happens? What happened with that was some of them actually hit the pause button and didn't launch a cohort, or maybe they decreased the number of individuals in a cohort, or, and they prolonged the program. And this happened right about the worst possible time for that to happen, right? So, which is then COVID-19 hits, Mm. uh, you know, a a large number. And I I don't think that our profession is immune to what's happening in in the broader labor market, which is people sitting at the kitchen table and saying, look, I'm working really hard. Is that, does that make sense? You know, am I, and do I, do I, with the, the disruption in the supply, and the significant increase in demand, I could actually move into a 1099 role or a locum tenum role, and I have more control. Mm-hmm. And so, sounds familiar. Yeah. So <laughs> all of that is kind of hitting at about the same time, right? And so there's also the demand issue, which is more and more hospitals are moving towards models, which will increase the demand for CRNAs, right? So we've seen, you know, at North Star and just across uh, the entire anesthesia landscape, which is like, okay. I can get on board with moving from a one to two medically directed model to maybe a one to four medically directed model, or maybe one to six or something of that nature. And then with the proliferation of surgical volume in the ASC, which is a very CRNA centric model, that demand is, is even more stressed, right? Mm-hmm. So, or even, even more 
prominent. So it's multifactorial, right? And the way out of this is, there, well, there is no silver bullet for sure. It, it is to grow thoughtfully, but in a, dis, in a intentional man, manner, the, the number of CRNAs that are produced each year. And uh, that's going to take some time. Yeah. And um, in an environment where there's a supply-demand imbalance, which I think is where we're going to go to Adam, we're going to talk about what, what are the economic consequences right. of having a supply-demand imbalance for our clinical talent. Yeah. Well, we still got the retirement <coughs> issue. And I know yep. you've got all the numbers about that because well, you pay attention. Yeah, I mean, you know, which and, is and going to also and, impact and it will. It. And obviously, it, with the market last year being great, this year not so much so far. Um, you know, it's kind of the same phenomenon we saw in '08 when people are going to retire and things get crazy. They're like, "Oh God, I can't do it now. I'm going to have to wait another year." And then, um, so we're starting to see a little bit of that. But the last, you know, 12, 18 months, people have been retiring like crazy. They had enough money. They felt like the market and the economy were good, and the outlook looks great. And they're like, "Oh well, everything's roses," you know. And then you get, you know, inflation and the Fed cutting back the, you know, the, the candy bowl out there. And of course, now they're giving it back to us a little bit. You know, I think that'll be. I mean, in my opinion, there's no way that we can get rid of uh, what they've done. Um, there's got to be another solution. So they're going to have to kind of keep that liquidity in the system. But um, anyway, I'm going to digress on that. All right, Adam, let's talk about, because, you know, my wife is a CRNA and obviously we work with CRNAs. And, you know, we've just seen over the last 24 months or so, CRNA salaries, especially on the 1099 side, explode. Um in, in my opinion, and I tell them all the time, I, I don't think this is sustainable. I think we've got to be really careful here. Um, obviously, CRNAs and anesthesiologists have this thing going on, and the closer CRNA salaries get to anesthesiologists, that causes some problems. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that and, and where you foresee this going forward. Because if you've got to walk in, how many CRNAs does North Star um, about uh, have on staff? You We've know, got o- over two thousand. Over two thousand. Yeah. So if you walked in and you told two thousand CRNAs that, guys, we just can't continue to pay you what we're paying you, I have a feeling that's not going to be a fun conversation. So where does this go? And and kind of explain how we got to where we are. You gave a little bit of background, but yeah, I mean, it, it really is. To be honest with you, it is a. It, it's all about supply and demand, right? Um, and it's very much where Randy was going, which is the two factors that are impacting um, CRNAs are one, you know, there's 60,000 CRNAs, there's 30,000 physicians, and there's 2,000 AAs. Right. That's your anesthesia force, right? Right. And you've got a number of points of service you got to cover, and those are the people you got to cover it with. Um, and since there are more points of service than you have people, you got to figure out a way to get those people to work more. And the way right. you do that is you pay them more money. That's kind of the only way that they're that's happening right now. Right. So um, because there's more CRNAs and paying a CRNA more is, you know, if I pay a CRNA 10% more, it's cheaper than me paying a physician 10% more. Correct. Um, You saw that acceleration in the CRNA salary more quickly. Right. Um, And that is going to continue as long as there's an imbalance in supply and demand. When is that going to be fixed? Well, I think this is, this is the, (laughs) this is the big issue, which is I don't think you're going to be able to solve it on the supply side for a long time, hmm. right? Okay. Because I do think, you know, I, I would assume if I'm an ICU nurse 
and I look at what CRNAs are making, hey, that's a pretty good profession for me to get in. Right. Maybe it's worth that uh, m- making that leap. And I do, and you've seen it on the anesthesiology side too, which is one of the most lucrative specialties that are out there. Right. And you're starting to see. I mean, there was a 99.9 percent match rate for anesthesiologists last year. Wow. So um, they are in demand, and people, I think, increasingly, you're going to see more and more residency programs, and you're going to see more more SRNA programs. It's still not going to make up the Delta. Right. Now, what is going to happen is these economics that hospitals are losing money on their ORs, that's going to be what really drives it. And you're going to mm. see that the demand is going to be reduced for anesthesia providers. Now, provided there's still a pretty significant Delta between CRNAs and physicians, mm-hmm. um, you are still going to see that secondary thing, which is, hey, in order for me to save money, I can if I go from a one to two to a one to four, or I go from a one to three to one to four, that is going to save me money. Right. Um, so you're going to actually continue to see a tail of CRNA demand right. um, that is going to continue for a while. But to your point, like right now in most markets, a locum CRNA is the same as a salaried physician. So if I'm actually thinking about that next point of service, it honestly is who can I recruit, which is easier for me to recruit, right? Right. right. So if I can get a full-time physician who's going to sit a room in that spot. That's a lot cheaper than that. Lo- <clears throat> that's going to be cheaper than that locum. And it's going to be better for culture and everything else um, right. to have, you know, a consistent person sitting there. So you are kind of at that point where obviously salaried, there's still a decent uh, delta. But from a, you know, if I'm trading off a locum CRNA versus a hired anesthesiologist, kind of a coin flip at this point All right. and that's Let what me, i was scared well, of that's yeah, what you yeah know, you gotta worry I knew about where you were going with this but i need to ask a question about your your national correct now i'm from the southeast we'll never see all just sit in a room you don't you just don't so is that regionalized having uh, what you're just saying as a solution to the problem because it won't work in the southeast yeah it's it's very mark it's it's market by market um, so what's interesting is Texas is a good example where we have all CRNA sites. Um, so sites, there are no physicians. Mm-hmm. It's, an all, it's an all CRNA site. And we've got large medical centers that are still doc only. So you've got hmm. anesthesiologists. Wow. They're state, inner city, um, I would suspect. Sta- They're not any rural, really. Huh. How do you, what do you could define Lubbock, Texas as? It's <laughs> um, pretty rural, yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's Interesting. It, it, it's a city, um, yeah. and it's by itself all day out there, and they've got a huge catchment area. They, they bring in patients from New Mexico um, and Colorado, mm-hmm. um, given where they are. But, yeah, I mean, it's an all-doc model, and that's an all-doc town. And you still have these pockets mm-hmm. around um, that state, and it's one state, and they've got very, you know, from a CRNA practice perspective, you know, it's one of the, you know, broadest ways you could do it. There are AAs allowed in Texas too. So it's an interesting state, but you still have, you know, certain pockets where it's all anesthesiologists. I agree with you. I think, you know, finding anesthesiologists to sit a room, especially people who have spent 20 years not sitting a room, right? that's hard. Mm-hmm. But for people coming out of school, it's a little bit of a different story um, for residents and things like that. So I think there is, I, I, I don't think that that is going to go away. Right. Um, so there's sort of a cap at some point um, to where CRNAs can go. Um, that said, I don't think you were there yet. So if you look at hiring people, while the locum versus uh, hired doc, if I can, if I had a huge oversupply of anesthesiologists, I might be able to fill in some of these CRNA slots. But I'm always right. better off hiring a full-time CRNA than I would be hiring a full-time doc, um, just from a from an ec- pure economic perspective. Now the big thing that starts to play into this though is based on state. 
I get paid more from a medical direction model than if I'm not medically directing. So that does actually start to create mm-hmm. the challenge, which is if I've got a CRNA that is not being medically directed in a room, they actually might not bring in as much revenue mm. as a physician who's medically directed. Gotcha. So that right. could limit the extent of CRNA only practices, well, the number of CRNAs that I bring, bring in. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. In my mind, the best case scenario for CRNAs is the change in the modeling, which Randy's talked about for years. But you're just telling me that isn't as lucrative. Well, in some, in some, again, it's very state specific. In Medicare, it doesn't right. matter, right? Right. right. Medicare right. get paid the same. But, you know, in some states, Blue Cross plans and, you know, other commercial plans, you get 60% of what you're getting paid. And, you know, our argument to the plans is stupid because, well, it's short term, you're actually discouraging us from using CRNAs. Right, right. right. CRNAs and, that's been our... and that's bad for you because all you care about is reducing cost of care. Well, this is the way you reduce cost of care. But if you pay us 40% less for CRNA, yeah. it's never going to, the Not numbers work. are never going to go around the block. So, so that's the, that's... I think something that is hopefully will change over time. Um, so we're back to the payers controlling healthcare again. Duh. Well, there's one. There's one piece of this that's important to unpack around the decisions relative to what anesthesia models we use. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions around how economics are driving decisions uh, in the CRNA community. Oh, yes. So so let's unpack how this works. Okay. So let's say we get a request for a proposal. And in that request for proposal, they're saying, this is the kind of model that we want. Mm-hmm. And we'll take a look at that model. And we're like, that's a pretty expensive model you're asking for. So we'll give you a what we call a performa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that performa, we'll give you some financial projection, projections of what that will look like. And then we'll say, well, there's also another model, right? And so it, if they say it's one to two, one to three, because this is what they've done. This is what they're used to. Right, right. Most care and most hospital CEOs have no idea how the anesthesia departments are actually run. Right. And we'll say, that's an interesting model. This is the performer that we are going to put forth. There's, a, there's another model that would be, maybe it is a QZ model. Mm. Or maybe it is a medical direction model, but instead of one to two, which is, which is current state, we're saying we should move you to one to four. And so there's this, this, this song and dance that goes. Right. One of the things that I think some folks in our community don't quite understand is the decision-making behind that is largely driven by the facility. Mm-hmm. and the culture that exists in that facility. And f- people frequently underestimate the influence of the surgeon, mm. right? Yeah. So mm. what may make sense from an economic perspective may be really challenging to implement from a cultural perspective gotcha. at the facility. Now, it is playing out, and, it, and often it, it is a, it's a progressive thing. It's an, an evolutionary, right. iterative, incremental kind of thing where we'll say, okay, I know you think you need one to two, but let's play around with this and let's try to... to to implement a model which is more economically sustainable for the facility. The thing is, anytime there's an issue in an operating room, what happens is the alpha surgeon Mm -hmm. goes to the sixth floor, knocks on the CEO's door or the COO's door and says, this is all messed up. What are you going to do about it? Mm. And so I think it's important to understand that what makes sense in a pro forma may not be implementable in day one based on existing culture. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855 
304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. We're pro CRNA. I mean, you guys are, you know, you have physicians and so forth. Pro anesthesia. But you know what I mean. I mean, it's where do, because one of the big concerns for CRNAs are AAs. And, and, you know, where do they fit into this? And is it a real threat to CRNAs out there? Because if they only have 2,000, they've got to ramp up and so forth, and CRNAs have 60. What does that future look like? Because CRNAs really get worked up. You know, I know in North Carolina where we're located, (laughs) you know, they they hire an AA, and it's all over everything CRNA. Everybody's up in arms. They this this facility just hired an AA, you know. What does that look like? Whichever one of you want to take that, so – yeah, I mean, I, c- I can start, and Randy can uh, tell me what I said wrong. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I really do think it comes down to um, you see, don't get caught up in the AA thing. The reality is, in markets where AAs are, you know, proliferate, and there's a lot of there are a lot of them there. They're making the same amount of money as CRNAs, right. which is a good thing. But CRNAs really get hopped up about that. hundred uh, percent. But I always say if. Most places, if they have to choose, and you've, you've got two people, and you make the same amount of money, they'll choose the CRNA. So if the AAs ever make less money than we do, that's when it's going to be a problem. A hundred percent. That's where I'm going, which is, it's not Sorry. like there's... No, 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 no. You're exactly right. But that, it's not like there's this giant cost savings opportunity right. for us. Right. No. So other than spite... <laughs> There's no real reason for us to bring in AAs. Right. Unless, again. Well, that's why they were created. Don't right. you understand? <laughs> right. But it, exactly. But, like, you know, I mean, and then, again, I think the big things, if I was if I was focusing on how do I worry, you know, how do I focus on making sure that CRNAs continue to get the expansion that they want, I'd go back to reimbursement, mm. which is if CRNAs get reimbursed the same amount as physicians, then this doesn't become a Game problem. Game over. <laughs> the only issue is right now, from a reimbursement perspective, if I've got AAs in a model and I'm medically directing those AAs, I can't not medically direct AAs because right. I don't get paid. Right. But and you can't QCBO. <clears throat> right. But the QZ CRNAs are getting reimbursed. <clears throat> excuse me, at a much lower rate. Right. Right. So then it actually AAs do make sense. The minute that I get paid QZ the same as I get paid medical direction, it's a no-brainer. Of course, you're gonna continue to promote CRNAs. And as a result, you'll see more and more that that gap will continue to expand. So for me, I think it is not where if I was if I was a CRNA, I wouldn't care about the AAs, I would care much more about hey, why if I'm doing the same thing, whether I've got somebody medically directing me or not medically directing me, why should theoretically, I'd be getting paid significantly less Mm. that's not fair right and that's where i'd be pushing the payers to make sure that there's parity there well that's because the payers want to instead of paying for the degree of the care pay for the degree of the provider right but it's their 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 it's their own problem it's their own problem though because they're actually making it more expensive to do anesthesia sure well they they'll tell you that but it goes back to culture like randy talks about all the time because in north carolina i've went and talked to blue cross blue shield Um, many, many times because they wouldn't give contracts to CRNA-only groups, which is what I worked for. And they go, oh, no, we pay CRNAs, but you got to have an anesthesiologist. I mean, it's like, do you hear what you're saying? (laughs) Do you understand what you're saying? And they go, yes, we do understand, but that's just the culture that we've got to 
that we live in. Let me ask one other question about something that's going on that I'm just now seeing, and I want to get y'all's take on it. Right now with all these contract nurses, what we found at one of the facilities that I do 1099 work in, the contract nurse that's circulating the room is making as much as the CRNA who's giving the anesthesia in the room. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, again, and what I'd say is uh, that's now, imagine if you're the anesthesiologist and it's the same thing on an hourly Oh, right. But that is what's happening. So yeah, I would say I that, that. We, we see PACU nurses in some markets that are making more hourly than a uh, 1099 physician. Yeah. Well, um, my argument to that is is that nurse's level of responsibility commiserate to the CRNA that's given the anesthesia? And I would argue that that answer is no, it's not. Now, with the anesthesiologist and me, it's the same level of responsibility. So that, to me, that's where that argument yeah. fails. A hundred percent. I guess my point is um, they're both wrong, right? Yeah. Which is neither, <laughs> neither an anesthesiologist nor a CRNA should be making less money than a circulating nurse. Right. Um, the reality is this is exactly where supply demand and it's, it's why it's messed up, which is yeah. when hospitals are paying that much, it's not sustainable. You can't pay circulating nurses that much money because you don't get paid. The you reimbursement they're, they're hasn't changed. Center. Right. So if you look at all these things, you know, inflation's gone up 10%, yep. wages have gone up 20% in a bunch of markets. Um, reimbursement's gone down for right. surgeries. Right. Um, so but it doesn't yeah, work. My my brain comprehends that. However, it made me angry whenever they thought about capping nurses' pay because they have never capped a physician's pay. Sorry, but they've never capped CEO's pay. <laughs> uh, but they're going to cap a nurse's pay. And that makes me angry, I, even though I understand the <laughs> yeah. economics of that whole thing. Well, Adam, you hit, you hit on something earlier, and I just want to go back for just a second. It keeps ringing in my head. You, you know, you said they're going to have to curb the demand side. And, and I'm, I'm sitting mm-hmm. here thinking we've got an aging population that's going to need more surgical procedures, not less. How do you curb demand and not increase supply? I mean, that's that's a huge problem, isn't it? Yeah, it's. but, you know, there's an example that um, is out there in the emergency department space. And what okay. I'd say is that if you're creating mm. artificial demand, uh, that can go away. Gotcha. So in okay. the ED space, what happened, you know, about 10 years ago is um, somebody realized, hey, people are going in, they have these long waits in the ED. If I put a freestanding ED center in a really wealthy market, mm. well, everybody's going to want to go to that because it's clean, right. it's nice, and I can say, you, you know, we'll see you within five minutes. Gotcha. And the reimbursement rates are really high and everything's great. So suddenly they start doing that and they start sucking all these patients away from the hospital. Gotcha. So the hospital says, huh, I need to reduce my wait times. So I need to hire more ED physicians to cover um, the EDs. And then these private equity firms are like, well, if it's working in the suburban <laughs> markets, I'll try them in the urban markets mm-hmm. and I'm going to do the same thing. And so suddenly there's this arms race for ED physicians. There weren't enough of them. So they started creating new advanced practice roles that actually proliferated. So you have all these advanced practice uh, players in the ED space that are making insane amount of money as are ED docs. Mm-hmm. And this goes on for a while until somebody realizes I'm actually not making any money on these ED right. patients. So private equity firm comes in and says, hey, the best way for us to make money is to close all these freestanding EDs in urban markets because we were never making money there. It was a good idea in a wealthy suburban market. So I'm going to close all those up. 
hospitals on the other side were also saying, huh, this doesn't make us any money. Like, why do we want these ED patients? It's not actually helping us. We don't need to have a 15-minute wait time. Let's have a 45-minute wait time, and, you know, people can just deal with it. Um, so all of a sudden, you have this world where every profession right now in healthcare is hugely in demand. You have all these agency things. Right. If you graduate as an ED physician right now, it is hard to find a job. Really? Wow. As an ED doc. And that's huh. because there was a bunch of demand that was created, but it was artificial. It gotcha. wasn't like you had suddenly 30% more ED patients, right. but you had 30% more capacity. Uh, My argument is right now, you're seeing that if you look at the projections, you're going to see a 15 to 20% increase in surgeries towards ambulatory surgery centers. Hospital inpatient surgeries are actually going to be decreased. Uh, okay. So to your point, gotcha. overall surgeries are going up. Right. It's the location that they're happening in gotcha. is actually changing. Okay. Whereas hospitals are freeing up, are creating more OR time, gotcha. not less. And I think what's going to eventually happen on the demand side is hospitals are going to have to figure this out because they're losing too much money and right. they're going to start shrinking those ORs so that, I mean, it's, you know, it's sort of like in the, you think about the agency nurse example, mm -hmm. that's like the stock market being in a bubble, right? Right. <laughs> when you have, when you have circulating nurses making more than anesthesiologists and CRNAs, there's a problem. Um, that means the market's overheating. And that means at some point you're going to see a big contraction might not be the next six months, but. You start it's looking coming. out, it's coming. Yeah. I have a couple more questions. I could sit here and talk to you guys all day long for, <laughs> about this stuff. But uh, I got one for Randy and one for Adam. But, Randy, I'm going to put you on the hot seat for just a second Ooh. here and say, you know, with all this being said, you know, I, I remember a conversation we had on the podcast several years ago. And I asked you, I said, you know, what – how long do you continue to see this trend and these rising incomes? You know, we're getting up so fast. And you said, Jeremy, I think it's probably 10-ish years or so. And that was kind of what you said. And that's been a few years ago. What do you see the future look like for CRNAs out there? Given what we've said, I mean, you know, what Adam just said is it's not going to, you know, demand for surgical procedures is going to go up. The demand for providers are going to go down because we're, we're creating a little bit of artificial demand right now. What do you see the future looking like? Can I just say tennis years again? And then we, I can, <laughs> <laughs> come, call me in tennis. I, I, uh, this is what I would say. Look, uh, I have three daughters. Uh, and if either one of them ever asked me, hey, dad, what would you think about me being a CRNA? I would say, go for it. 100%. Mm -hmm. Go for it. Because the long-term employment prospects for CRNAs is, is amazing. And yep. so, yes, I mean, if we were um, – the trajectory of compensation growth will, will undoubtedly will curtail. Yep. But, the, but I don't see a contraction where we find okay. ourselves five years from now and CRNAs are making less money than they are today. Okay. I just think the, the rate of growth will will normalize over time. Adam just went <laughs> – wiped his forehead. I don't yeah. have to go into those 2,000 CRNAs. Yeah. Well, I mean – this is my 30th year anniversary yeah. this year, giving anesthesia. I never hear you say that publicly. I yeah. know, right? I might as well come clean. Everybody's um, on Facebook. They'll yeah. know anyway. That's exactly what's happened. Yeah. My salary from 30 years ago is two and a half times what I started out with. Now, what I started out making, and that was including my call, everything, these kids wouldn't even get up out of bed for. Mm -hmm. A nurse wouldn't even get up out of bed for it <laughs> to go to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, and, I, it, and, and it's never gone yeah. backwards. I mean, healthcare, the, the, the joke, it wasn't a joke, it was like healthcare is recession-proof. Oh, well, it's we not, found it may not, out. It may not be, it's not it's pandemic-proof. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
and, and I, I think there's a lot to that in that we'll see, I mean, you look at the baby boomers, the silver tsunami, the consumption of healthcare, all the things that Adam's been talking about, the, the demand will always be there. Yeah. Will it be this feverish five years from now? I think, I don't think so, but right. it's still going to be like, I don't think this, this, there's a serenade bubble. I think, right. it, I think the market is heated and that's purely supply demand economics. But right. if you look into, you know, it's all about like positioning within the market. Like it's right. an, like any service, any product. Yep. And you look at CRNAs and CRNAs are ideally positioned in this market to be successful because, um, you know, I don't remember much from my MBA school. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I do remember one thing, which is like, how do you have competitive advantage in a market? And, and it's either through differentiation or cost, le- cost leadership. Those are like yep. the two pathways. Yep. CRNAs check both those boxes. Yep. You're right. And I'll also say for our physician anesthesiologist colleagues who are listening in, you have amazing job prospects too, right? right? So they're right. not mutually exclusive, right? This is so... Right. There's an effort going around. Oh, for around. sure, for sure. So I think the anesthesia specialty is positioned very well yeah. for the foreseeable future. So yeah. I'm really bullish on the profession. I'm really Good. bullish on, okay. this, on the specialty. I know that we are, you know, if you're... Now, if you're a CRNA business owner, <laughs> yeah. strap in, but, you know, put your big boy and big girl pants on because it's, it's tough. It's tough headwinds for a while yeah. because of all the things that we've been talking right. about, volume, labor expense, you know, uh, payer rates and all of that. But I do think as a clinician, you're, you're, you're positioned very well. Well, that comes down to, you know, something that typically happens. And even in our industry, you know, what we're seeing is scale matters. And it sounds to me like you're saying to these business owners, if you're out there and you've got five, 10 CRNAs working for you, you don't have the scale to be competitive moving forward. It's going to be a rough road to hold. So I'm going to end with you, Adam. And North Star is a big organization. What does the future of North Star look like? Yeah, I mean, I think the the future is very bright for the companies like North Star because, you know, we have, I, I do think size does matter. And in a weird, in a different way than it, was before. Um, before it was size in a market so that I can basically tell the payers, hey, if you want anesthesia care, you got to go through me. Right. So every year, give me a price increase. Unfortunately, those days are gone. <laughs> um, so that doesn't help. Um, but where scale does matter, it's around things like being able to invest in clinical leadership. Because as you look at the complexity of care, multiple different care sites. So now, you know, for hospitals, to your point, they're going to want to do surgeries in ASCs. You're going to start to see more surgeries being done in medical offices. Right. But the hospitals still need their certain things and how you balance across those different modes. You've got to have constant payer fights and you've got to be making sure that you're, you know, going through an IDR process when they're treating you badly and dealing with those types of things. It's just that the business side of anesthesia is getting more and more complex. And so for larger players, it it is an advantage um, because we have the financial wherewithal to do it. You've got to create not only a back end, but you've got to create this leadership structure so that you've got strong frontline leaders, um, strong frontline chiefs, medical directors that can handle this kind of changing area that you're in. And that's a gap right now. I think schools right now do an excellent job of creating great clinicians, but you know, they're not creating clinical leaders, mm. uh, clinical managers. Mm. Yep. And it's up to companies like us to actually make those investments. And I think we are positioned well to do that. And that's going to be an advantage for us as well on a go forward basis, because we can make those investments. Yep. I wholeheartedly agree. 
Well, Sharon, I think we're going to have to stop it right there. I Unfortunately, know. I don't want to, but I, I, I think know we're going to have don't. to. Well, so. we'll just have to ask Adam back sometime. Yeah, well, Adam and Randy both Absolutely. did a great job. Adam, thanks for joining us today. And Randy, thank you. It's always a pleasure to see you. And um, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow? Well, the best way to help us grow is to leave us a review, but make it positive. We all know there's enough negativity in this world. Absolutely. We are in the top 50 medical podcast in the country on the way to number number one we're already number one in the crna community we want to stay there thank you listeners yes we love all of you (laughs) right until next time it's a wrap As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. 
Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.